Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship Baptist Church. Today we have a message from Pastor Emeritus Dave Lee in the next part of our series in the Book of Jonah. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. Like Carol, I'm back. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Yeah, it's going to be four years since uh, Em and I... uh, left Sardis Fellowship, but not really. We didn't leave, leave, because we're still vitally a part of this church. We're just not able to be here most Sundays. So it's wonderful to be back and to be able to share the Word of God with you. Uh, Here's what I want to say to you this morning through the message. Uh, There's a preaching strategy that goes like this, is uh, tell them what you're going to say, then say it, then tell them what you just said. So I'm going to tell you what I'm going to say. First, that God wants you to get on mission with him. Second, that if you do get on mission, God will use you. So get back on mission so God can use you abundantly. Now, having said that, now I'm going to say it. Have you ever heard this expression, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? One of my first ministry assignments was to work with college-age students in Winnipeg. I often use this little booklet that was written particularly for students, that summarizes the basic facts of Christian faith called the four spiritual laws. And the four spiritual laws starts this way. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I love that thought, and um, I believe it to be true for me. I believe it to be true for you as well. If you are able to identify yourself as a follower of Jesus... God has purposes for your life, and they are truly wonderful because they contribute to his kingdom mission here on earth. It's not about us, you know, this wonderful plan. It's not about making us healthy and wealthy in a stress-free environment. It's about his purposes that he wants to work through us. Paul says that as followers of Jesus, we are God's workmanship, so that we're being crafted by God created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So you see then that we are God's workmanship, fulfilling God's good purposes for God's glory. God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. I believe that the God who gave you new life when you came initially into a faith relationship with him, in the first place then, has, in the second place, a purpose for that new life. I believe that our primary employment, if we could, you know, use that term, our primary employment here on earth is to live for God's purposes. I believe that this means that our our primary responsibility is to explore, discover, and, and live for those purposes for which we've been recreated in Christ. Way back when we lived in Winnipeg, I had a mentor. He was a pastor and also a professor at Providence College near Winnipeg. We would meet from time to time to discuss ministry, and he was a big encouragement in my life. One time when we met for lunch, he shared with me his passion. He said, David, I envision a church crowded with ministers. Now, he didn't mean a whole lot of clergy types, right? 
He meant a whole lot of people who love God and are committed to his service. He meant a whole lot of people like us, like we who are gathered here today, committed to God's service. He meant people who do everyday things, people who love God, but they manage farms and they serve in medical clinics and they are teachers and servers at restaurants and are home with their family. He meant all kinds of people in all kinds of walks of life who are vitally concerned about living for God and his glory in the church, in the home, and in the community. A church crowded with ministers. And I share that vision, that passion, because that too is my passion for Sardis Fellowship to just be crowded with ministers. Last week, Joel brought an excellent introduction to this sermon series on the reluctant prophet Jonah. And you know that God loved Jonah. And if you know the story, you know he also had a wonderful plan for Jonah's life. Only Jonah wasn't ready to sign on. He rejected this calling vehemently, so vehemently that he attempted to run away from God's will for his life. God said, go to Nineveh. And instead of traveling north to that great city, the capital of Assyria, he headed west and booked a ticket on a slow boat to Tarshish, which is probably in Spain. But God did not forget Jonah, nor did he abandon his calling in Jonah's life. He loved Jonah. He had a wonderful plan for his life. And so God sent two things to get Jonah back on track. He sent a storm, and second, he sent a fish. Now, not every sin... I need to say this really clearly. Not every sin causes a storm, and not every storm is caused by sin. Okay, I hope that's really clear. Not every person whose house is burned in this terrible forest fire, that that's caused by sin in their life. I, want, I hope that's really clear. But in this case, it's also equally clear this storm was brought because of Jonah's sin. The storm was fierce. It scared the sailors almost to death. It, it, it had almost no effect on Jonah, but they were terrified. While the sailors frantically called out to their gods to save them and made every effort to save themselves by tossing their valuable cargo overboard. Do you remember what Jonah did? He, he slept below deck. It's like he wasn't even aware of his peril. It's like he just didn't care. Even the storm wasn't enough to awaken him. Well, the sailors do everything they know how to do, and, and finally, in desperation, they decide to figure out who's to blame. I mean, someone's on the wrong side of the gods. So they cast lots, and the lot falls to Jonah. He pulls the short straw. They gather around him, and they quiz him, like, who are you? Where do you come from? And what have you done? And Jonah tells them, I'm a follower of the one true God. And he admits that this storm came upon them because of his disobedience. And uh, one assumes that as a prophet, God had given him, given him special insight into that situation. So imagine this. This is like sheepishly telling a friend, yeah, I'm a Christian, just not a very good one. I've got a story that really illustrates this well from my own life, but I'm going to tell it to you later. 
So that's what Jonah has to say to these sailors. And then Jonah tells them that if they want relief from this storm, all they've got to do, all they've got to do is toss them overboard. They really don't want to do that. Besides the ethic of it all, it's not good ethics, nor is it good business practice to throw a passenger overboard. Maybe they also feared Jonah's God. I mean, what about this? What if they figured that if the God of Jonah sent this storm because of Jonah's disobedience, what would they do? What would he do to them if they murdered his prophet? And so they row like crazy for the shore, but it's useless. The ship is in danger of breaking up. So as a last resort, they call upon God to forgive them, and they pitch Jonah over the side. And you know what happens, right? Immediately, the sea became calm. And this group of men saw with their own eyes, in an indisputable manner, the evidence of the reality of the one true God. They saw with their own eyes that Jonah's God is indeed the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Their gods are useless. They cried out to their gods. They pleaded with them. They made promises to them, and nothing happened. Their gods didn't show up. There's an Old Testament story that uh, Rod told a few weeks back that's very similar where the prophets of Baal, or Baal, cried out to their gods who didn't answer. And then Elijah prayed, and God sent down fire from heaven to consume an offering. Their gods didn't show up either. One prevalent belief of the day is that the gods sustained order by taming the powers of chaos. But those terrible, lawless powers of chaos always lurked, always remained a threat, particularly at sea. So they call out to their gods to tame the chaos, but their gods failed them. They witnessed this failure with their own eyes. And then they saw something else with their own eyes. When Jonah hit the water, they saw the waters calmed and the storm stopped. And they realized that here is a God who controls the power of the sea. And they when they saw this with their own eyes, worship this amazing God. It's funny to think about it, but, and by that I mean strange. But, but Jonah's life, even when he was disobedient, turned out to be a testimony that drew people to God. I mean, think about it. Even when we're not at our best, God can still use us to speak to other people. Okay, here's my story. I was pretty much totally out of step with God when I was in junior high, which was then grade seven to grade nine. We lived in Germany, which was called West Germany back then, because my dad was in the armed forces. I didn't have any Christian friends. So like a chameleon, I fit in and lived like my non-Christian friends. In our last year in Germany, that was when I was in grade nine, Billy Graham came to Germany and held a campaign at Dortmund, which was not far from where we lived. I plucked up my courage, and I invited my best friend to the service. 
Now, Billy Graham was a powerful speaker. And he spoke to me and to my life as I was hearing him speak at this campaign. And I confessed to God that I was not a very good follower. I knew I had to get right with God. But, you know, I also noticed that my friend sitting beside me, he was really glued to the message too. So I asked my friend if he'd like to go forward and receive Christ. And he said, to my delight, yes. So the two of us went forward, standing side by side, I confessing to God that I wasn't a very faithful follower, and my friend receiving Christ into his life. Now, later as we spoke about this experience, as we were traveling back, I told him that I was already a Christian. And you know what? I was so out of step with God that he was shocked. He couldn't believe it. He said, you're a Christian? I mean, have you ever had an experience like that? (laughs) I hope not. It's not fun. Here I was so out of step with God that my best friend didn't know I was a Christian. Yet God used me in a very small way to bring my friend to Christ. Now, this is one of the events that was like the beginning of a turning point in my own life because some months later, when we were back in Canada, I really gave my life back to the Lord at a Bible camp. And that led eventually to me, about two years later, going on my first short-term mission trip, which eventually led to me recognizing God leading me into full-time ministry. See, even when we're out of step with God, even when we're like Jonah, Even when we're out of step with this wonderful plan that God has for our lives, he can still use us to accomplish his purposes. And all I can say is, thank you, Lord. When Jonah hit the sea, three things happened. First, the raging sea grew calm. Second, the sailors worshipped the God of Jonah. And third, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And all I can say is, thanks a lot if I was Jonah. But let me explain this a little bit. I think it's really fascinating. You know, I once read the story of a, of a person buried alive in an avalanche in the mountains, and he was completely encased in snow, helplessly awaiting rescue. And it, it, the story really freaked me out. It's a good story for those who suffer claustrophobia. So Jonah was thoroughly encased in a fish and helpless. And there God finally got his attention. This was a spiritual retreat. God loved Jonah and had a wonderful plan for his life. You might think that it isn't very nice of God to send a fierce storm and a mass of fish into Jonah's life. But God sent both because he really loved Jonah and he wanted Jonah to have an opportunity to serve him. And he loved the people of Nineveh and he wanted them to come to him. And and that was the wonderful plan he had for Jonah's life. He had this wonderful plan. It was wonderful. And Jonah squandered it. He's losing his opportunity to be a blessing to people in need. And and I wonder how often that might happen to us. God does want to bless us, and, and he provides opportunity for us to serve, to receive, and then pass on his blessing. And we run the opposite direction, and in the process, rob ourselves of receiving and giving 
an amazing blessing. And so God sent a storm and a fish. Perhaps there are times when we too are out of step with God, even I, as I was in grade nine, and we experienced the occasional storm and fish, and fish, sorry. And yet, through these, God is inviting us back onto his team, back into his blessing, back into that wonderful plan that he has for our lives. Like I said, Jonah had time to reflect on his behavior and lack of faithfulness during this spiritual retreat in the belly of the fish. Interestingly, some scholars argue that this fish is not to be viewed as a punishment from God, but rather a rescue vessel provided by God. (laughs) Not quite a cruise ship, but it was adequate to the task. Which leads to this prayer recorded in Jonah chapter 2. And this is the prayer of a man rescued from drowning. And you might want to follow along in your Bible if you have your Bible with you or on your phone. And it will also be up here on the screen. But, but as you're hearing this, just watch how this is an image of a person drowning, okay? Now, the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountains. I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. I, I'm a little squeamish about the last image there, but um, <laughs> uh, another little fact here too. There's lots of interesting things that uh, Joel pointed out in the text about parallels and literary parallels. There's a literary parallel between uh, what he says there. Um, I will, but I with shouts of grateful praise will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will make good. That is also a parallel to what. The Mariners do back in chapter, not the baseball team, um, the Mariners do back in chapter 1, verse 16, where they do the same thing. So you can see an interesting parallel there. But they're coming to God like for the first time. He's recommitting his walk to God here. Okay, what do we see here first? The image is of a man thrown into the sea, sinking to his death. You can see how it describes the waves and the breakers and the currents and the seaweed, and he's sinking to the bottom. He's drowning, he's drowning, and he calls out, God, save me. 
And God hears his prayer and rescues him. And like I said, the rescue vessel just happens to be a giant fish. Notice also that he doesn't blame anyone else for his situation. He doesn't blame the mariners for throwing him overboard. Instead, he acknowledges that this is God's justice. This is God's hands because he says, you, that is the Lord, hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. Notice as well that his prayer is filled with expressions of faith. It it just permeates the whole prayer. He expresses absolute faith in God's justice. Even though he's blown it big time, he sees God's hand and he's confident that God will rescue him. He calls on God expecting to be heard despite his sin and disobedience. He says, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. I said, I have been banished from your sight. But listen to this faith. Yet. I will look again toward your holy temple. He's saying that while he's still in the belly of the fish, right? But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. So are you aware this morning of wasted time and wasted opportunities? And are you sick and tired of running in the wrong direction? Do you hear the Spirit's voice inviting you, calling you back? And perhaps you're even aware of God's corrective in your life. Then remember that God will hear your cry for help and rescue you from the pit into which you have fallen. Here's what we learn from Jonah. In faith, call on God, confess your sin to God, and expect him to hear your cry. One more thing. This prayer also affirms God's calling Because he then says, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. He's ready to agree to God's calling. He's ready to go to Nineveh and declare the message of God's salvation to them. Do you hear the voice of God's Spirit calling you back to fulfill the purposes God has for your life? If you do, then say yes to his calling and commit your way to him, even if you don't know yet what he intends for your life. Now, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says about storms and fish, okay? This is Hebrews chapter 12. And have you entirely forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you, his children? He said, my children... Don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you, and don't be discouraged when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes those he accepts as children. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined? If God doesn't, if God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means you're illegitimate and are not really his children after all. Since we respect our earthly fathers who disciplined us, should we not all the more cheerfully submit to the discipline of our heavenly father and live? And then he concludes with this. God's discipline is always right and good. Right and good for us. 
because it means we will share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a quiet harvest of right living for those who were trained this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and stand firm on your shaky legs. Mark out a straight path for your feet. God's discipline is painful and profitable. We're told to do three things when we stray from God's will and experience his discipline. First, don't ignore it. Second, don't be discouraged by it. And third, get a grip, stand firm, mark out a straight path. In other words, get back on track and go for it. Because God does love you and does have a wonderful plan for your life. Would you pray with me? Father, as your spirit has been at work here, we want to submit ourselves to your calling. And sometimes that's very difficult. And sometimes our inward self rebels against your calling. And some of us have run away like Jonah. And I pray, Father, that as you are revealing your love and your mercy to us here today, uh, that we would say yes to you, confessing our sin, committing our ways to your path, and living for your purposes. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. God bless you as um, you go and uh, pursue that wonderful calling God has in your life. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.